From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. We're going to talk about uh, what happens to prisoners after they finish serving their time with Ari Cohn, who runs the post-prison education program. Um, So what I want to do, because I know you've got a problem with Facebook, which I also want to talk about, but before we get to that little tiff, Let's talk about your your program. Now, this you yourself served some time in federal prison, right? Yes. What was that for? Wire fraud. Wire fraud. And when you got out, you managed to get right into the University of Washington. Uh, sort of. You know, I had to take four classes unmatriculated without financial aid, and then apply under what was called the older but wiser policy. And then I made high grades on all four of those classes, and then then I applied, and then they accepted me. I saw you say that you owe the University of Washington your life. It's a sacred place to you because of that. So explain that to us. Um, You know, I released from a prison in Pennsylvania from the hole. The feds called a segregated housing unit. And to go from that kind of an environment to uh, the evergreen trees and the beautiful campus and the f- amazing support that I found at, at, at UW was it was it was life changing. It was like night and day. It was it was just unbelievable. And everybody that's helped me build the post prison education program I met through the University of Washington. They just uh, pretty much put their arms around me, mm-hmm. which they continue to do the, to this day, right up to the president, by the way. Really? Yeah. So it's your belief then that this is this is the key to helping people who've served time cope once they get out? There's no doubt. We've been, we've been evaluated twice in 2009 and in 2016. And uh, our students are 92.13% mm. successful. They have a recidivism rate of 7.87%. The Department of Corrections recidivism rate is 335 That's pretty dramatic. So and you provide money to help people who can't afford school. Go. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a small part of it, though. I think, I mean, we we're not in business without it, and our students don't have roofs over their head without it. But I think it's the the mentoring. The you know you have, you have a legal problem, we hire a lawyer. If you if you relapse, we deal with it. If you're suffering mental illness, which so many are, then we work we work through. So you provide it. a support system then yeah, to make sure yeah, they succeed yeah. in college. Huh? Yeah, you rely on Facebook to keep your for your network of supporters. Is that right? We have about 24,000 people on the program's Facebook page. I've got about 3,600 on my page. Mm -hmm. And we use that extensively. And you're having trouble with Facebook now. They have, what have they done? They may have put us out of business, actually, with something that they did. So I rented Town Hall at the beginning of the year and got Pete Early, former Washington Post reporter and Pulitzer Prize nominee. He's written written 17 books, Mm -hmm. but he wrote a, a... fabulous book called crazy i got pete to agree to come in and keynote a, a speech or a talk mm-hmm. at town hall the criminalization of serious mental illness has has gotten to a point where the legislature is doing nothing meaningful and people are dying there's data proving that when there's an issue that's so important to me that i'm willing to rent town hall seattle uh, then we rent Town Hall Seattle. And then the way we fill Town Hall is is, is we drive that attendance through Facebook. Yeah. And once he agreed and we signed the contract and made the deposit at Town Hall, uh, uh, then then we put the event up on Facebook and then we paid Facebook 
to promote the event. Yeah. And they canceled the promotion and said we didn't meet their standards, which, and, and I wrote them to the extent that you can write to them. It's, it's very difficult to communicate with them. They hide behind walls, behind walls, behind yeah. walls. But I wrote to them. And I'm like, I know I have to be careful with profanity, and that's my second language. But but uh, <laughs> but uh, I wrote. I'm, I'm basically, what the h are you are you doing? You know, we've spent fifty thousand dollars over fifteen years promoting events with you guys, and how is it that having a community discussion about serious mental illness doesn't meet your standards? And uh, especially when led by somebody like Pete Early. They decided that the topic was political, and I brought some the of the correspondence. So, so a discussion of serious mental illness mm-hmm. was apparently political. So we were just kind of stuck, and I was panicking. And I well, actually, but wait a minute. You, you can't advertise political events on Facebook? If they're decision makers, which could be somebody in the Philippines, it's a contract group that they've hired, or it could be an algorithm. Uh, if, if their decision is that it's a political thing, you can advertise, but they want to make sure you're literally, it sounds corny, but they want to make sure you're not a Russian I see. operative. So you've gotten caught up in the event, yeah. in the and, attempt and, to get Russia out of our election process. Yeah, and, and, and so in some ways it's, it's wonderful that they're doing it. It's also terrible that they can't tell a discussion about mental illness from a political issue. Yeah, I see. And it, it, that's kind of insane. It's like— Well, mental illness— uh, has to do with homelessness and homelessness is a yeah. big political discussion now. So, so, yeah. so what they did was, uh, we're like very few days from the event and mm-hmm. we're having discussions about, it's probably necessary to cancel, but they, they gave me a link and you answer questions that were phenomenal. Like what street address did you live on in 1982 when you lived in Asheville, North Carolina? And then they give you a multiple choice. And I was just like one, it was one Oh five Pinecroft, but it, I was yeah. just, Darn lucky that I could answer that. But questions like that—that's well, that's a standard background check question. And and yeah. and, uh, and then once you clear those, they said, "Okay, we're mailing a letter to your house," and I brought it with me, mm-hmm. and it'll have a code in it. So, so now they're wanting to make sure you live; they know where you that's live, right. right? The letter took a long time to come in. Every day, I was going from our office in Soto to my house panic-stricken that this letter wouldn't be there, and it kept not being there. And so, literally frantic, I went back into Facebook, found another link, appealed it again, and this time they admitted their original decision was wrong. Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, you know, we've reevaluated our original decision, and we made a mistake, and you're, you're now authorized to advertise the event. Well, that's good, but and, the event is about to happen. Well, then we were 17 yeah. days from the event. They had burned up 82 days of promotion time. Yeah. And we had a we had a board meeting and decided to to ask town hall and Pete Early to cancel the event. We rescheduled mm-hmm. to October 9th. And and putting off the discussion of mental illness, I mean, that wasn't critical. We could do it on October 9th just as well as we could have done it in in June, I think. But what happened was we've had some funding issues that are critical. And and that event, we probably would have brought in about $30,000 based on past experience yeah. with showing documentaries or other fundraising events. And putting off that income, that may put us under. We literally might go under because of what Facebook wow. did. So what's the lesson here besides, uh, I don't know, 
you have to apply to Facebook in a special way if you're doing a political event. Is that yeah? Right? You really do. And and then uh, here's here's the code that came in the mail. <laughs> and then once once like, you once, finally got it a, after they admitted that they had the original decision was wrong and they approved the event. Like seven days later, the letter comes in the mail, and and then I can put the code in, and, and boom, it's yeah. like Aladdin's lamp. Right, then you're okay. And I don't so do know you what, think that Facebook has gone too far now to try and keep the Russians uh, out of our business? No, to be honest, I don't. But I think they're doing it wrong. It's mm. it's uh, this whole process that they did. I was kind of glad that they're doing it. I don't like what happened in 2016, and yeah. and I was glad that they were doing it. I think who they have doing it is ridiculous. You know, maybe the algorithms are wrong. Third parties that they're contracted with to do it don't know day from night. Uh, so the way they're doing it, the people they're using, the algorithms, those are wrong. This was right at the time when Pelosi's image was being allowed all over Facebook, right. and, and it was a distorted— The slow-motion Yeah, that made her look image. drunk, and yeah, that, right. that, met, that was fine with Facebook, I mean, <laughs> it, which is ludicrous. It's like, so why is a discussion with Pete Early? And if you Google this guy, he's a, an amazing guy. And by the way, his interest in this, his son was mentally ill and died because of what happened to him in the criminal justice system. Uh, again, an amazing guy. But so why is is okay not okay to have a Pete Early discussion about mental illness in a town hall event, but it's okay to distort images of Nancy Pelosi, yeah. make her look drunk when she wasn't, and blow that all over Facebook? My guess is because Facebook is trying to police itself on the cheap, and they're leaving it up to some algorithm, which has no emotional intelligence and really it doesn't you're know right. what, you, what you're even talking about here you're by right. the time it gets kicked up to a human supervisor the damage has been done yeah, yeah. i mean you you're dead on 200 percent right you couldn't be more right that's exactly what it is yeah so there's a a lesson here for uh for nonprofits who are hoping that facebook will do the right thing you've got to i guess you got to know the system call me up i know it now <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable well, I hope your October event is a success because if, if you can get recidivism down to, what was it, a little over 7%, that's yeah, um, yeah. a pretty amazing statistic. Well, the, you know, the remarkable thing about it is when we realize how many of Washington's prisoners are suffering mental illness, and we've got data from DOC on that, it's, it's, it's horrifying, uh, then we changed our admissions criteria. So now if you're not high risk to recidivate per the Department of Corrections, mm-hmm. plus S code two three four five, which are all indicators of mental illness, then we won't spend money on you. And so we're working with people who have the most difficult lives of all. We're not we're not choosing to spend money on people who are mentally healthy or who the DOC said low or moderate mm-hmm. risk to recidivate, and and yet we've got this phenomenal success rate. And we don't. Our students do. And so let me ask you this to you because uh, we've done a lot of discussions about homelessness, and it, and it comes back – well, it comes back to two things. It comes back to drug abuse and mental illness. I don't know. I, I get the feeling that many times we are up against some kind of primal force that just doesn't doesn't want to be changed. But uh, your experience is that even these more extreme forms of mental illness can be treated and, and people can go on to successful lives. No, there's no doubt. We're dealing no doubt. with people who borderline personality disorder, schizoaffective disorder, yeah. 
uh, bipolar. And these people will do well in the university environment? And, and they, people... do, they do do well. I mean, we've got one guy that graduated UW with a degree in physics and applied math. I don't even know what applied math is. <laughs> I know how to spell it, and that's it. Yeah. And went on and got his master's degree in well, applied math at UW. We've got a lawyer. Uh, we've got an electrical engineer. There's a guy uh, who has like 40 felony convictions, six or seven imprisonments, and uh, he's working very successfully with Catholic Community Services in Olympia now mm-hmm. in partnership with the police department there after gotten, having gotten a four-year degree at Evergreen State College. So we've got you know culinary arts, welders. And how do you get employers to take the risk of hiring somebody with a record like that? It's, it's education and it's the degree. And, it, and it's also the years it takes to get the education. Those are years you're moving away from prison and conviction. And the further you get away from that and the more contacts you build, yeah. then the less relevant it is. You still got, uh, I mean, I had the president of Gates Foundation, uh, U.S. programs, call me because his brother has a felony conviction, is black, and couldn't get a job with Comcast. And, and he was asking me about the same issue. Yeah. So the first part of it is if they don't want you, Shoot them a bird and move on because the next person will take you. I mean, the the deal is my first job after I graduated UW was the Washington State Senate. Shelley Clear works for bigger industries and is cleared to do welding on Coast Guard gunships, Mm -hmm. right? And she was hired by Washington State Ferries uh, despite a horrible criminal record. And she's spectacular. Worked out great, huh? Yeah. Is the... Is the economy helping here? Because, I mean, we have pretty close to a full employment economy. No, it's it may have something to do with it, but I don't think so because we, but we've had – we started in 2005, and, mm-hmm. and, and our students have had – So you think they can succeed in any economy? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we went through the Gregor years and WAMU going under and all that yeah. insanity. You know, Amazon flew a student of ours in from New Hampshire two Januarys ago and had him speak to about 110 brainiacs at at, at Amazon headquarters with wine and cheese and all that Mm -hmm. to just talk about the value of prisoners and former prisoners. And this guy, Chris Jones, is an electrical engineer, married, two kids, a house as big as this building in New Hampshire, just a beautiful life. So I I think the degree and, and the contacts you build while you're getting the degree, that's it. And, and, you know, disciplining yourself, being clean and sober, going to treatment if it's necessary, that's the dividing line. We, You know, nine people that we work with out of ten has spectacular successes, but one there'll be one that doesn't, and it's usually a horrible crash and burn, very sad yeah. situation. But we're almost a concierge service. you got a problem, we'll deal with it. And to give people time to put their lives together. But it's mm-hmm. they they're the ones that have to put their lives together. And when they do, that's to their credit. Yeah. The alternative to this is what? They release you at midnight with fifty dollars in your pocket or no, whatever. Seven in the morning with forty. Yeah. One set of clothes, khakis that identify you as having come from where you've come from. Yeah. And you know, by the, a hot dog costs ten dollars anymore. So by the time you take a train from Vancouver after releasing from Larch or a bus from Walla Walla after releasing from the Washington State Penitentiary, and you've crossed the state to release in Pierce County or wherever, the 40 bucks is gone, and you're unemployed, and you're probably alienated from your family. Yeah. It's almost like they expect you to come back, so why bother? Exactly. I mean, they, they force it 
they force recidivism. And what really, again, I'm to, I have to watch. I can thing, see that. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, if you want to learn profanity, come to my office. We got 101 profanity, 404 I, profanity. I believe but, you. But anyway, uh, it's infuriating that the Washington State Legislature and the Department of Corrections have the answers. We've proven to them how to do this, and they won't do it. Um, Jeannie Darnell, who I've frankly grown to despise, uh, and she's in a key position in the Senate, keeps like a parrot. The political will's not there. The political will's not there. The political will's not there, right? I've been listening to that for seven years, and so are people that I work with. And so they've got the answers, and they just choose to not employ it. It seems to me that it saves a tremendous amount of money not to have to rehouse the same people in that state expense over and over again. They don't care. They don't care. Why not? It goes back to, I think, Richard Nixon, tough on crime, mm-hmm. soft on crime. Well, I mean, I see what you're saying, but um, what Jeannie Darnell is probably saying is that there's been a stereotype that's been deeply embedded in people's minds about what an ex-inmate is. And your job, I guess, yep. is to change that stereotype. You know, I'll tell you a quick Jeannie Darnell anecdote, real quick. Seven years ago, those were six percent budget cuts were ordered across the board. WAMU had gone under. The okay, world so was during down. the recession, basically. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Ross Hunter was trying to find another fifteen million in the DOC's budget, and he was chair of appropriations. He didn't know DOC, so he contacted Jeannie Darnell. And in reality, when you watch what Darnell does with legislation, she doesn't even know how to spell DOC. So she contacted Roger Goodman, who has a better knowledge of the Department of Corrections. He's chair of public safety now, original board member of ours. Uh, and, uh, and then Roger called me, and then I called Ellen Vale, who by then had, he had retired as secretary of the DOC, was, yeah, one of the most savvy guys in the state of Washington. I wish he was a governor. Uh, just incredibly smart, savvy Eldon guy. Vale. Eldon yeah. Vale. And, uh, El- and, and I asked Eldon if he would present this plan that he had shown me a year earlier to Jeannie Darnell and Roger Goodman, and he agreed. And so we met in, in the, the House office building in Olympiana back sort of hidden conference room, and Eldon presented this plan, which would save lives, could save lives. Uh, and at the end of his presentation, uh, Jeannie literally got up and walked out of the room, and her parting remarks were, the political will is not there. Hmm. And then more recently, uh, with a, a, an activist who's a, a pretty amazing here in the community, Melody Simley, who pushed the ombuds bill through uh, in a 10-year effort. Uh, on a different effort, Melody heard the same thing from Jeannie Darnell. The political will is not there. And maybe the political will isn't there for 10,000 different reasons, including Richard Nixon, tough on crime. If you're perceived to be soft on crime, you might get voted out of office. Uh, or maybe they just don't care. But... but uh, uh, for whatever reasons, people are dying, tax dollars are being misspent, uh, lives are being destroyed, families are being destroyed, and it's it's pretty horrible. I, I actually, there's some research at, by the former associate assistant secretary of the health division of DOC that shows how bad things are. He's now based at UW, Mark Stern, and I put it on my Facebook uh, yesterday afternoon because it's and, and slam tag Jeannie Darnell and 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 slam the issue. Uh, but 
it's so bad in Washington state that 70 men and women within less than two years of their release are choosing to die from overdose or suicide. And nationally it's 5,000. That's how bad it is. Reentry is bad. So do you think if you had more support, you could make more of a dent in homelessness and, and the opioid problem yes. than some of these other programs. There's no question. And it's yeah. proven. The data and the re- we've been researched to the point of oblivion. And, and, and the hang-up seems to be that it's because you're working with felons that there's no political will to spend the money on this. Yeah, and, and you know, you've got large funders like Gates Foundation that by policy won't – they'll fund children, right? Mm-hmm. That's politically safe, but they won't fund their parents. Their parents. Uh, uh, the same problem with United Way. Uh, and, and, and then there's the, a diminished number of people who will. Google has been amazing with us. I mean, really, not just the corporation, but the employees. You know, there's 300 people who work for Google in this area who have kept this program alive. And then Google Corporate matches it. Hmm. And, and when we had Google money plus Warren Buffett's sister's money, Doris Buffett's foundation, we were we were never in high cotton, but we were able to help in meaningful ways. That money went away. That was 40% of our budget. And there's nobody to replace it. There's nobody to replace it but government. And government just won't. Ari Cohn runs the post-prison education program. Uh, he's now figured out how to use Facebook. So uh, <laughs> you'll have your event in October where people can find uh, out more about it. And if they Google you, they'll get your Facebook page and can read about it there, right? If they Google me, they get all kinds of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's A-R-I-K-O-H-N. Ari, thank you very much. Thank you. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.